Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with a longtime friend of ours, Marco Radicevic. I've known Marco since high school. We actually crossed paths before high school, but I'm not, I'm not even going to share that story because it's, it's, it is funny, but it's ridiculous. I don't even want to bring it up right now another time, but we've known each other for a long time. We've backpacked through Europe when we were in university, and uh, on this episode, Marco had the idea of sitting down and just discussing Bitcoin. You know, why are we looking at Bitcoin? About a year ago, he showed me a text where we were kind of just like, check this thing out and, you know, I think we should explore it, but let's hold off a little bit. Don't get too crazy with it. And two weeks later, I think we were all in. So our opinion changed pretty quickly about a year ago. But before that, for the years before that, the three or four years before that, when we had heard about Bitcoin, we were pretty dismissive of it. So on this podcast, we're just talking about why did our opinions change and why specifically over the last year did they change? What is hard money? Why are we looking at this thing as money even? So we just get into that topic and have a, a talk about Bitcoin in general and how our views have changed over the last three or four years and specifically over the last year. So that's what Marco came down to sit here and do. And I, and I hope we accomplish that. So hopefully you pick up something, a point or two from this. And if you are listening to this and you are thinking about diving into the real estate market here in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area, you should know that it is still a rather crazy market. And if you want to make sense of this real estate market and what's going on, you have to actually understand the principles of money. Because everybody asks us, can property prices keep doing what they're doing? And actually on this podcast, we allude to that a little bit. And if you are thinking of going into real estate and you don't know where to start, you can check out our website, rockstarinnercircle.com. We just redesigned it. And on that particular website, you can find reports, you can find free digital downloads of our books, you can find videos, you can find all the episodes of this podcast, and you can hit the big investor training button and attend our free real estate training class. It's a 90-minute class where we go through all the strategies that we're using with investors today in 2021, not theory that we read about and doesn't even apply to today's world. We're actually going to share examples, cash flow numbers of properties that we are doing today in today's real estate market right here in the GTA and Golden Horseshoe. So you can find that link at Rockstar innercircle.com. Look for the big investor training button near the top. So that's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are we are recording. We are live. We are a professional group of individuals with a professional topic today. So listen, the whole idea with this podcast came up because Marco Radicevic, who's sitting across the table, by the way, Nick, can you hear me okay? I'm, you, I'm confused. Okay. You have a pair of women's glasses in, in front of you. Marco just put his sunglasses on for some reason. I don't even know what's Marco, going on here. Marco looks like... He looks like some rocker out of the 70s right now. Listen, if you were listening to this, the reason that I have women's glasses in front of me is I think today is the first day I've realized in my life that I might need glasses. And Carol had a light prescription and gave them to me. I put them on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see again. I can see. So I, I put the glasses on. Listen, the idea with this podcast was Marco had this idea. You just describe it. What was the idea? I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I, I mentioned to Tom that uh, I'd spoken with a few friends recently and they were asking me some rudimentary questions about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. Rudimentary? How, yeah. Well, we don't ask me to spell it. Let's bring the vocabulary back to like... Don't ask me to spell it. Um, but uh, they, they, they'll ask questions uh, about how to get into it and why did I get into it? 
And it, it just prompted me to, to, you know, give you a call and say, I bet you there's a lot of people out there who have these questions of, of how and why. So whatever today's, today's podcast was, you know, poorly planned and, uh, you know, thrown together. But I do think there's a lot of people out there that could get value out of a, a round table type discussion about what cryptocurrency is, why you got into it, why I got into it, why Nick did what we think we might be doing, like, what are our plans for it in the next little while? Because we talk about this between ourselves all the time. You know, what, what, what is your plan in the next six, 12 months with, with crypto? Because it's, you know, more than just Bitcoin now, it's some Ethereum as well. People out there are talking about Doge, Doge constantly. You know, none of us are believers in that, but everybody who, you know, from my barber to everybody asks me, well, why do you buy Bitcoin and not Doge? So I don't know if we can maybe just touch on some of, some of those subjects today. I think that there's some, some folks out there that could get some good value out of it. This is a big time. Marco just laid down the biggest topic. So it, well, let me look, this is going to be reversed today. This is going to be maybe asking you more questions than, than like you're, you're typically used to. But I sent Tom a screenshot yesterday of a conversation that him and I had uh, over a year ago. And I was searching for the word Bitcoin to find out when was the first time we'd ever mentioned the subject. And it was April 17th of last year. Uh, Tom had just finished reading a report that I guess, you know, I don't want to say shook you fundamentally, but I think it, it really hit you at the core of, you know, what's going on. That was at the peak of uh, fear with, uh, with, with COVID. Nobody knew what was coming tomorrow. And, you know, the, the global economy was completely crashing. So, you know, for Tom to go from, I don't believe in cryptocurrency, I don't understand it to, hey, we should look at this. And then two weeks later, you know, you bought it. What made you like, what, what did you see at that time last March slash April that made you say, I need to take a look at this? Yeah, that's an interesting framework because I think last year at this time was when Nick and I were looking at the economy and we thought, wait a second, if the government is going to solve an economy that they have shut down with more and more paper money that they print, I know it's digital now, but based, you, know, you know what I mean? Just yeah. printing more money. If they're going to do that, then any savings, and Nick, I think it, I think it almost came from Rockstar, first of all. Any, like we've been working this business for a long, we've worked hard. Nick and I both started this business. I, I, don't, I don't mean to, I don't, want any, I don't want anyone to have sympathy for us. It's been a great ride, but we started this business from nothing and we worked hard and I walked away from a job. And it's only been in the last couple of years that Rockstar, I would say, Nick has changed a bit financially where it's like, oh, okay, I think this is a real business and things are kind of humming along here. And we've been able to accumulate some savings on our balance sheet as a business. Right. So never mind if it individually yet, but as a business. And I think we thought, wait a second here, we have busted our asses for about 13 years. I walked away from a great job to do this. I, I kind of risked a lot and I've busted my ass and now we finally managed to save some money up and the government's gonna come in and just print so much new money and shove it out the door so fast to everyone and anyone. And we can all argue if it's right or wrong. I'm not, I'm not right. here kind of yeah. saying that, but what is that going to do to any savings, however meager or great they may be, any savings that I've been able to accumulate? And to me in my life, I've always thought my savings, whether it be at the business level or personal level, level, is a representation of my time and labor. So, so if I've saved some money and the government now is going to just print billions and billions in Canada, we're going to add a trillion dollars in the last few years onto our federal debt, our total debt, what's that going to do to everything I've worked for for the last so 10 years? There's a lot of people that 
maybe you could explain what does that do? Because a lot of people don't know what the effect on if they manage to save $10,000 and it's sitting in a savings account and they think they've done a great job, which they did. Like, as you mentioned, they worked really hard to get that money. What does, what's the effect of the government printing $100 billion on that $10,000? Before you jump into that, there, I think you're almost one step ahead because it was almost more simplistic than that when we first started because it was really still we were focused on gold. Like, so you said April of last year, and when, when COVID hit, we took some cash and we, we bought more gold, and there was gold and silver shortages, and we were buying physical gold. And then at that time also, I think is when- We actually slipped an order in on the Sunday when shit hit the fan, yeah. and we just had it accepted in process before they shut down. Remember yeah, the gold yeah. dealers yeah, had like no more inventory? before they shut down the site. But they said, um, uh, but, but then what happened is as we looked into it more, it was almost like, as we researched a little bit, we we believed from what we were seeing that you know what this is now maybe an asset class like like it's 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 more um accepted more widely accepted as an asset class now this this bitcoin thing or this crypto thing whatever you want to look specifically bitcoin right and and then we're like huh so if this is now more widely accepted maybe we should as a moonshot remember we said like as a moonshot maybe Mm. we should just take some cash and just dump it here and see what happens Right, and that's how it initially started. So it was really the gold angle and the same principles, which is which is exactly what you're asking. But that's kind of how we got going with with that type of stuff. Because the first time that crypto that was, was the told, first, but we quickly went from moonshot to holy shit. Yeah, this is a game changer. Well, the first time crypto was mentioned to me, I remember what did I say I was supposed to buy it? 2016, 17, something like that. Mm-hmm. I have a, a friend in Toronto. We we were at lunch, and he's like. We were talking about it. I'm like, yeah, I, I want to buy some of this just because I want to know about it. I was right. like, I just, I'm that type of person. Like if something's kind of like, I just want to understand what's going on. And I kind of tried to open up an account in exchange. Couldn't really do it. It was some US one or UK one and it was hard. I, you know, and I was just like, oh man. And I just kind of lost interest in it and never ended up doing it. And um, and it, it always bothered me. So for years, I was like, man, I really said I was going to buy some. I watched Bitcoin rise to 20 grand. I watched it come back crashing down. I'm like, oh, you know, I wonder where I would have bought. Probably, I probably would have lost everything. That's the way I just, I invest in those types of stocks in my, in the, my past. And then, and then when this happened, it was like, it just felt like it's been around long enough. And from other research and stuff we were doing, we're like, huh, there's, there's more... There's, uh, th- there's more substance behind it now. There's more stability behind it now. I feel like maybe now's the time to take a look at it. And then you're right. Then we quickly went down the rabbit hole. And as we went down the rabbit hole, then things changed pretty quickly. So when you, but, but, but I didn't, Tom didn't answer your question. So I interrupted right. and I apologize. But, yeah, that goes another direction. And there's no chance I'll remember what I was talking about <laughs> with Tom. But now, now you kind of bring it. When you first bought Bitcoin, did you see it as the equivalent of gold? Or did you say, I just want to see what this is? I think that's what, so part of me was my curiosity for sure. Right. But I think what, changed for me and why I, I was only mildly interested in it before is I looked at Bitcoin as a currency. Right. I looked at it as this new thing before. I'm like, I don't really see it as a currency. I don't see everyday use. I don't see the Tim Hortons across the street taking like, when's that going to happen? I'm like, I just don't really see it as a currency at that time when I was right. looking at it. So it was more just a hobby, right? I'm like, ah, I'm not really too interested. But then when, when the thinking shifted and I was like, hmm, I get it is as a store of value now, so more equivalent to gold. I'm like, then this actually gets pretty interesting pretty quickly. And then it was also, uh, again, it was the rabbit hole, but it was when we started looking, it was that a couple lines out of the Seyfedeeing, the Bitcoin standard about uh, how humans always migrate to the hardest form of money. Like those, the, the beginning there, I was like, huh, there was a so few So when things. did you guys read um, Bitcoin standard? Right then, when you said that that So text, prior to the purchase or at, uh, like- I, I think we might have bought some and then read the Bitcoin okay. standard and then had had a holy shit moment. That's when was, the rabbit hole starts. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So just to expand on then what Nick's saying, I think we had studied gold. So I, I want to get back to your question of like, what does all this printing of right. money do right. to people's savings? Because I think that's the ultimate point. Yep. But the context was we had studied gold for over 10 years and we had been buying gold for like 10 years. And gold, although people make fun of it, it's done really well over 10 years. Like it's done like 60% against it's the basket preserved of your currency. Purchasing it, power. Yeah, it's yeah, done it's what good. it's supposed to yep. do, right? right? And uh, we looked at Bitcoin and didn't understand a fundamental concept that the reason that gold hold held its value and against currencies over the last 10 years especially held its value is that over human history this is this is what really made it sink in for me i'm like oh my gosh over human history humans always gravitate to the a harder and harder form of money so for example in africa they used to use agri beads glass beads as money because they were hard to make so the stock of the agri beads was you know x and the supply of new agri beads couldn't be duplicated really easily so these things were used as money and in North America, seashells at one point were used as money because you could get these kind of funky looking seashells, put them on a string and kind of make these unique seashell things. And they were hard to kind of duplicate and seashells were made, uh, used as money. But then over time, every time gold enters the picture, it is the hardest form of money, meaning that it's harder to get more gold than it is agri beads, which are glass or seashells. And then humans gravitate towards gold and silver, especially when it's turned into coins and it could be, it's very fungible in that way. You can trade it really easily with each other because you know, a coin is a coin and you can kind of do a fair trade back and forth. So humans always go through these episodes where they just naturally pick the hardest form so of money. So define that hardest. So hardest form of money means, the, the best way to think of it is there's whatever the supply of gold is in the world, the stock, the flow, the new supply coming in is really low. Right. So gold is something where if you look at all the gold around the world that all the central banks own and all the people own around the world, that would be the stock. But the supply of gold is about 1.8% gold miners add in about 1.8% of new gold supply a year. So the stock is really high gotcha. and the flow is really low, meaning that you and I, if we choose to save our our you know our labor, our time and energy by buying gold, it's good because it's hard, right. meaning it has a high stock and a low flow. The supply will not change. The supply quickly. won't. Where oil, like if you and I were to like work really hard and buy oil as the thing that we want to save our quote unquote money in, well, oil, the supply is like doubled, like it replaces itself every year. Right. So if you bought all the oil in the world and you're like, well, oil is really valuable, it's a really valuable thing, Marco. Everybody uses oil. Well, now with Teslas and stuff, but you know yeah. my, my point that oil is very valuable. So I'm going to buy all the oil in the world because that's how much money I have and I'm going to store my wealth in it. Well, in one year's time, the same amount of oil is going to be produced again. Right. So it has a low stock to flow. The, the flow replaces the stock really easily. So when I say hard money, what I mean by that is that humans always naturally gravitate towards the hardest form of money. And I think our generation, specifically people who were born in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they've lost that understanding. Because what we've done in is, North America, in North America, especially yeah. because what we've done is we've looked at the dollar as the thing of value. Like, oh my gosh, it's the dollar that's the thing of value. Even when I graduated school and I was told I was gonna to make my first job in, in the IT department at RBC was $35,000 a year. I never looked at like my skills were worth $35,000 a year. I looked at, oh, I'm going to get $35,000 a year and these dollars are the, 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 the thing of value in right. an economy, which is totally wrong and I can explain why that's wrong, but I think we've kind of like almost bowed to the dollar 
And the dollar is not a good hard form of money because governments keep printing more so and more. So let's get back. That was the original question. Why, you know, that or person... Or what does who, it do? Why did that person who have $10,000 saved in their bank account, why at the end of two years of extreme money printing is their $10,000 worth less? If you could maybe explain that in layman's term, mm-hmm. why that money is worth less. So like, uh, this is what I try to do with my kids. I'm, I'm like, okay, look, if you're at school... You got, but you, you got to explain even what, like if, depending on where we're taking it, is, I, I think you take for granted that people understand what extreme money printing is or what money printing is. Right. But, so let me just use this example. If we're at grade school and we're back in grade six or seven and there was, um, you know, there was 10 Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in the whole school, then those 10, because Wayne Gretzky- You should update this with Austin Matthews rookie card as an example. That would make you much happier. Austin Matthews is great, man. Yeah. No, seriously, Stanley Cup this year. This is the year I'm already on the parade route. I'm already on the parade route. Um, if there's 10, 10 Wayne Gretzky rookie cards or Austin Matthews, whatever, t- Wayne Gretzky, let's stick with Gretzky. 10, 10 Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in the whole school at recess, but there's hundreds and hundreds of other playing cards, but there's only 10 Wayne Gretzky rookie cards, then those rookie cards, you know, had a certain value. It was like you would almost trade your bike for a rookie card because they were that valuable and you know they were so hard to get and you knew all the kids who had one, there was only 10 in the entire school. But what happens if one weekend some dad goes to Brantford and Walter Gretzky says, oh my gosh, I have like a hundred Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in my basement here. You guys are good kids. Here, take these to school. Right. On Monday morning, when that, when those hundred, so so the the week before, one wing, one of the ten Wayne Gretzky rookie cards would have got you a BMX bike. You would have traded your BMX bike, but on that Monday morning, when those hundred new Wayne Gretzky rookie cards arrive at school, what happens? You're not buying a BMX bike with them anymore. The value just drops, and that's the same thing happening with the Canadian dollar. Your savings is almost like the Wayne Gretzky rookie cards at recess. So if you have ten thousand dollars, to your example, in your bank account. But then the government is like the Monday morning arrival of the new Gretzky rookie cards. The government just is flushing in more and more dollars. Right. So the ones that you have are worth less and less. A good example of this is that everybody thinks real estate prices have gone up. Everybody and everybody in their can I, I was gonna say everyone and their mother. Can you say that anymore? <laughs> You say lots, everybody you say in their lots of old time every, sayings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should eat some humble pie. Yeah, yeah. Everybody and their mother thinks real estate has gone up over the last year. Everybody, like right. everybody thinks real estate's gone up, right? So we were looking at some numbers, preparing for some presentations that we're going to do. And real estate on average, which I know an average is, you know, we can all argue the accuracy of average, but right. let, give me that. The average real estate price on the Toronto Real Estate Board from March last year to March this year has gone up 21%. So everybody's like, holy shit. Prices have gone up 21% on average in a year. That's like unfathomable. That's crazy. Prices have gone up. But then if you look at it in a different way, maybe prices haven't gone up. Because if if we look at Canada's M2 number, that's the amount of dollars. So just like in our example of Wayne Gretzky rookie cards, Canada's M2, the amount of dollars in our economy, has gone up 19% in one year. So now let me ask you something. If we know that there's 19% more dollars in the system and real estate has gone up 21%, has it really? Has real estate gone up 21% or has the dollars in all our pocket all fallen 21%? Right. And I know there's a difference between 19 and 21. Sure. But it's close enough that has real estate really gone up or is real estate just flat? Yeah, is real can, estate actually flat? Because you can draw a direct line to the amount of money printed and the price of a house. 
And I think this is what holds people back because everyone's like, well, I'm not going to buy a house today because this can't keep up. Like everyone says that like, well, you know, the last 10 years is an anomaly. It can't, it can't, how many, how many friends do we all have that say it can't keep going like this? Yeah, I've and said it. I still we've say said it. We, we, yeah. We've said it for years too. They can't keep going. Oh, oh yeah? Well, maybe it can. Because if we now look at global debt, Nick, this is a Greg Foss yeah, thing. Because we, maybe we've been doing the, we're doing the math wrong. Right. Maybe like, we're like that. Because in past times, like, you know, if we, we go back, let's say not 10 years, but if we go back 20, 30 years and we look at this same trend, you're right. It can't keep up because during that time, the M2 money supply wasn't growing at this pace. So everything that we use to look at the real estate market then that made sense, it made perfect sense. We can't use it now. Right. And, and, and you, like Tom and I are the first people to be like, look, we're, we don't say real estate prices only go up and they don't go up in a straight line. And, you know, we've, we've shared our parents story and stuff like that. Like, so we know that we're not taking that for granted. We're not coming from that place, but we're just like, holy shit. Like if we look back now, all of a sudden is, is the equation that we're using to make our decision or the factors that we're kind of inputting in, are those wrong? And if those are wrong and, and what Tom's talking about is the new factors that we got to put in then all of a sudden it changes anything. So the way I, I explain it to people, I, your analogy is great, but I'm like, look, if the, the cost of real estate, you know, let's say across Canada, it was 5% of, of our GDP. So it was like five over 100, right, of a whole. But if that 100 has now changed to 200, well then does real estate stay at five or is real estate going to go to 10? Right. Naturally, it's going to go to 10. But, and we've never had these times, we've had these incremental increases, we've never had these times of such growth and maybe that's what we're seeing. Maybe it's not. But when we look at it, we're like, holy shit, it actually might be. And we have to at least take that into account as a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Just looking at, at the reasons why things are going up are might be different this time as opposed to the what, what things we're doing. Because we used to always look at real estate and, you know, boom and bust cycles, right? You know, 8 to 12 years, 8 to 12 years, something along those lines. And why is it not following that pattern right now? Well, there's, again, an anomalous event here where the government is now printing money more and faster than they ever have before. And what are the ramifications of that? It, it has to have some real world implications. Yeah. You can't just do that you and nothing what, changes. You know what's crazy that I just thought about now is, so you know, 20, 30 years ago, you're right, boom and bust, and we didn't have this type of money printing. But if you look at it now, so this all started right after, in response to 2008, right, the financial crisis. And if we look at what happened, what's happened in real estate up here since then, what the thing is, it's, it's going faster now than it has before. And if we, we, we kind of align it with the money printing, it's kind of lined up that there's more money printing than ever before. So as the yeah. money printing has sped up over the last decade, the real estate prices have sped up with it. And not just real estate, which to asset our point, price, a lot asset, of asset but, prices. But which right? to our point isn't necessary. If you divide the increase in uh, the price increase by the, yeah. the increase in doll dollars that are in the system, it's actually quite flat. Yeah. Meaning Which is that. crazy. So it's actually interesting, though, the way Nick phrased that, though, that we need to be talking about assets and not just real estate. Because that's what loops us back into Wayne Goretzky cards, um, you know, art and gold and, and crypto And Bitcoin. So we'll get to, uh, yeah, we'll get to it in one second about that. Yeah. I just want to share where we're headed because Nick alluded to a point like, is it speeding up? Or you know how you said, is it like getting faster? Global debt now, and everyone will argue exactly, is about four times the size of the economy. So four to one. And Greg Foss talks about this a lot, and, and I gotta give him credit who's been on here a bunch of times, but I like the way he breaks this out. Debt to GDP or to the size of the economy, we have four times more debt globally than the size of the economic output that we create. Right. Now that debt, when you have debt, you have to pay interest on it. 
you have to pay interest on debt, right? And if you take the average, a number that, that he was using, and I like, I like this number, I think I agree with it, is about 3%. That ultimately, you know, some debt's going to be cheaper, some debt's going to be higher if it's high yield debt, junk bonds, the whole bit. But the debt globally, you have to pay a coupon rate on it. You have to pay interest when you borrow. So that debt is growing at, let's say, 3%. Now, if the, if the debt around the world is four times greater than the economy, so four to one, and the numerator, right, the four, is growing at about 12%, like four times three. If it, if, sorry, if it's going at 3%, if it's growing at 3%. The denominator, the, the, the economy, for it to just keep pace, in Nick's example of how, you know how he said if it goes from like five over 100 to, t- to and then the denominator. 10 over 200. Yeah, yeah 10 over 200. Well, the denominator, if the debt's growing at 3% and it's four times the size, the economy must grow at 12% to just keep pace. Right. So yeah. my, 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 my growth rates, which my, we're not my, seeing. Which right? my point is that the economy is never going to grow at 12% naturally. The only way that the, the countries all around the world are going to get the economy just to keep pace with the gross, uh, growth of debt is to stuff at least 12% or increase the monetary base, the M2, the amount of dollars in the system, the amount of Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in the system by 12% a year. Minimum, that's, that's without new deficit spending. So my point is if everyone listening to this, if in your savings, in your family's wealth, if you are not growing your family's wealth by at least 12% a year, you're falling behind. You're losing money. You're losing. So this is this is. The, is that was that way too complicated? It, it, we're starting to get a little bit more into kind of like Greg yeah, Voss language, which is right, but it, a lot of people have difficulty grasping. Yeah, I was going to stop it there, but but I think it's it's. So valid. I won't go deeper. No, but the twelve this twelve percent is key because if you're investing in something and you're getting a five percent return, based on that, you're actually not getting a five percent. You should lo- almost look at it like, hey, you're only losing seven percent right. now instead of twelve. So to stay even, and that's the goal of where the assets come in. So if we circle it back to assets, you know, so the, val- the to answer the question shortly in a short way was all the money. You can mon- answer answer it shortly. No, but all the all the money printing it just devalues. You know, the ten the person with ten thousand bucks, right. like you said, if they just leave that ten thousand dollars sitting there at the end of the year, that ten thousand dollars based on these numbers that Tom shared is going to be worth twelve percent less. Right. So what's that? So eighty eight hundred bucks. Right. Another at year mi- at minimum. At minimum. At minimum. Yeah. Right. Another year. So just only after two years, you get another twelve percent on eighty eight hundred, another nine hundred bucks or something. Right. What's that? So now we're seventy nine hundred. So like we're two years in, they've lost. They've lost two twenty one hundred. They've lost twenty one percent of their savings. Right. All yeah. of a sudden, so it, it disappears very quickly. So that's where these the assets come in. And the challenge is, it's like, is it all assets or not? But this is why the asset prices are going up because it's not that those prices are going up. It's just the value of everything of those dollars are dropping so much because of these policies that that, that helps you protect your money and protect the purchasing power and get that 12%. And this is where Bitcoin comes into the picture because we haven't been able to maintain our wealth through saving dollars because of this, all, everything we've just shared. So we've been forced to buy assets. Like everybody you know, yeah. Marco, I think last time you are here, we are talking about like, well, everyone we talked to is like, I think I need an investment property. I need to do something, right? And investor and real estate does a really good job of keeping you ahead of that curve because of the leverage. If you can buy it 20% down and you don't control 100%, right. you can kind of outpace that 12%, which is beautiful. But everybody thinks they need to run into assets. But why? The reason that it is, is because the dollars are being devalued like we're describing. And now Bitcoin comes into the picture. Because now Bitcoin is something going back to our stock to flow or hard money talk. 
it has perfect stock to flow that we can measure because we know, and this is why I, I dismissed Bitcoin for many years. I did not know there was a hard cap. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin ever created. So we know the stock. It's going to take another, there's like 18 and a half um, million of them, 18.6 million, whatever it is now, 18 and a half million Bitcoin created to date. It's going to take another 100 years or so to create the remaining 21 million. So that balance of like two and a half million left. So we know the stock exactly. Yeah, so it's we know that there are 10 Wayne Gretzky cards. We know there's going to be 10, 10 Wayne Gretzky cards. There's no and, and we secret know the, supply, and we, a secret stash that someone can just inject into the system randomly or when they feel like it. Exactly. In this case, the 10 Wayne Gretzky rookie cards is the 21 million Bitcoin. Right. And if we, my family or me as a person can work really hard and take some of my labor and my time and buy a piece of that 21 million, I have the hardest form of money ever because it can never be diluted like the Canadian dollar. And that's why you want Bitcoin. So explain to me if I had, you know, it doesn't matter if we're talking about $1,000 of liquidity, 10000 or 100 The impact is going to be the same on people, right? Your money is becoming devalued. Would you say to somebody, hey, go buy some Wayne Gretzky cards, literally go buy some memorabilia. Would you buy, tell them to buy gold or would you tell them to buy Bitcoin right now? And why? So, so look, I'm just going to say, look what's happened to the trading card industry, all the collectible industry over the last 12 months, right? And and whether it's it's wine, classic cars, um, sports memorabilia, the all the prices have jumped. So to go back and use the Wayne Gretzky side of things, the Wayne Gretzky card side of things, like we're seeing it. Tom was using that exam, uh, example before, but you're seeing it in real life in the last 12 months. That's what's happened when a bunch of money goes into a, a place where there's limited there's a limited amount of goods. But the three of us here at the table, we're all currently buying you know cryptocurrency, right? We've yeah, chosen okay, so, that as our. our yeah. you well, know, there's and there's we've done other things. I understand. We've all bought real estate, and I think and, we need to be careful. There's a distinction between Bitcoin yep. and all the other cryptocurrencies, which we can talk about. Absolutely, and and I think it's an important distinction. Um, but the but. I think to your point about should we buy like, you know, rookie cards or Rolexes or fine art, the interesting thing that Nick's discussing here is that anything that is more scarce is going up in value. So rookie cards are going up in value. Art is going up in value. Rolexes are going up in value. Real estate is going up in value because it's more scarce than the dollar. Right. Because the dollar, American dollar, Canadian dollar, they're all being debased or printed so much that if you own something that's more scarce than the dollar, it's going up in value because the dollars are becoming worth less and less value. So that's so, what, somebody, so that's why, and it, I can answer your question about right. Bitcoin, but. Yeah, meaning specifically like, you know, someone said to me right now, I have $10,000, Marco, what do you think I should do with it? I would, my advice to them to, would be, I think you should look at Bitcoin rather than I think you should go buy a Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Right. Because right now, I think that there's a lot of value, um, you know, in Bitcoin specifically. I think some of the things that you talked about is, you know, we're ahead of the game. Like if you look at where Bitcoin could be, you know, in the next five, 10 years, and then the principles behind Bitcoin, you know, the, the fact that it, it it's stored up in the ether so that when you compare it to gold, you don't have to worry about the cost of storage. You know, there's, there's a lot of reasons, you know, maybe more specifically, you can explain why you've shifted from saying, hey, Marco, I think you should buy some gold to Marco. I think you should look at Bitcoin. What, what made you take that jump? Because we're talking about two assets that are scarce. Why do you feel that Bitcoin right now is perhaps better than gold? I think the reason that Bitcoin is better than gold is that it has a better stock to flow ratio. It's a harder form of money. So the reason I would buy Bitcoin over some 
rookie cards right now is I don't know the entire population. Somebody out there might know, but I don't know the population of Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. So maybe I'm going to buy two Wayne Gretzky rookie cards, but all of a sudden somebody out of their basement from, you know, 30 years ago says, oh my gosh, I have a hundred pristine rookie cards. Right. The whole stock to flow ratio is screwed up. So I like Bitcoin the most because it has the, it's the hardest form of money. It has the best stock to flow ratio. Then when you layer in that it's decentralized, that it's not controlled by anyone. Right. A lot of the other cryptocurrencies and a lot of, and, and rookie cards, let's face it. You know, I think one of the big uh, providers of cards right now in this in the NBA world is Panini. Panini Cards, I think that's one of the brands. Dan Patton would know, Nick, he's not here. But uh, they might print more cards and I'm not in control. In the Canadian dollar, in the American dollar, the central banks decide how many Canadian dollars are going to be printed. If I'm going to buy... Um, you know, I'm trying to think of another example, some piece of art. I don't know if that artist is going to produce another hundred masterpieces. And his first one that I bought is going to be like devalued in some capacity. Whereas I, I'm in control with Bitcoin. It's decentralized. Nobody can produce more Bitcoin. It's an algorithm that's playing out with a 21 million cap. So it's decentralized. There's no central authority controlling it. This makes it hard to shut down because it's decentralized. You know, everyone talks about how a government might kind of shut it down. It's hard to shut it down when there's Bitcoin. On the table right here, we're sitting with a Bitcoin node right here. So it's hard to shut down and nobody controls it. As opposed to gold, well, gold can be monopolized by the central banks. In 1930s in the, U, in the U.S., the central banks said, we're confiscating all the gold. They ran papers, sorry, ads in the paper saying, you, an American citizen, must bring in your gold and give it to the Federal Reserve by this date. That was effectively a type of default because they changed the price of gold a few weeks after they collected it all. Right. Then in 1971, Nixon said, hey, everybody, all you people out there who have American dollars and you thought you can convert one American dollar to like 35, what was it, like 35 ounces of gold or I have it backwards? 35, whatever the ratio was, I don't, I don't have it top of mind, that we're not doing that anymore. That's another form of default. Right. And the reason they, they, they did that is they can centrally control a lot of this stuff. Gold can be hoarded, put in vaults, controlled. You can fight wars over this stuff to gather it. Whereas Bitcoin is decentralized, nobody can control it. And on top of it, on top of it being decentralized, there's no figurehead that's controlling this thing. Bitcoin does a lot of other things that no one discusses. There's people all around the world that have never had a bank account. There's people in South America that have never had a bank account, in Africa that have never had a bank account. And now with a mobile phone, they can buy a piece of the Bitcoin network and have some of their time and labor stored in Bitcoin. So there's this whole other thing that's happening where we're like, it's banking the entire world, which yeah. might sound like a pie in the sky type thing, but that's a beautiful thing. I think some of the other things that we've talked about that you've, you've mentioned to me where like it, it, it's superior to gold or other hard assets or, or tangible assets, because that's one of the big differences that people have. People have difficulty understanding. I can't feel gold. I can't feel Bitcoin. I can't touch it. It's not a rookie card that I can put under my mattress or put into a bank account. But that's also one of its strengths, right? It can be transported across the world virtually instantly and for a negligible amount of money, right? Whereas if you have, uh, you know, three bars of gold and you want to buy something in Japan or, you know, in Croatia or in South America, how do you get that gold there? Right. So the, the, the value that Bitcoin is in the ether and can be can be moved instantly electronically 
it's essentially become don't say ether i keep thinking ethereum when you say ether it's in the internet it's in the internet in the internet that just sounds so 99 1998 to say that it's in the internet it's in the net it's a network it's a network right but it's uh it's it's something that uh, it's got the benefits of gold um, but it, 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 it also superior in a number of different ways. Yeah. I made a note of that too. Like I was saying, that's one thing to realize about gold is there is a real big pain in the ass. If you're, if you want to actually invest in physical gold and own the gold outright, not like gold stocks, like an ETF, it's a pain in the ass, like to buy and sell it, to get there and stuff. It, it, it's a pain. And I still own all my gold. I haven't sold any of the physical gold that I bought, but it's, it's, you know, I'm looking at it more and more. I'm like, yeah, I can see the downside of this versus bitcoin the one thing i think we you know this is what i always say to you and that always plays out in the back of my head is that we have to be conscious of is that if the just as we feel or that i felt you know i'll speak for myself and i think it was both of us but we felt last year at about this time that people were now accepting bitcoin as a store of value and were associating value to it for maybe the long term if that trend ever changed, so let's say people no longer value the seashells that you were talking about. All of a sudden, if you hoarded seashells, well, then all of a sudden your savings are gone because people are just decided there's another form of money. So there is that possibility. And, and I know people will say like through government, you know, if there's government regulation, that type of stuff. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying maybe something else comes along, whatever, just like people no longer value the U.S. dollar the same way. So it's something that that I think it, it, that understanding prevents a lot of people because they're like, I don't get it. There's just this Bitcoin thing and it's worth whatever it's worth now, 50,000 bucks US or 60,000 US. And they're just like, how does that make sense? It's not right. It's not fair. It shouldn't be like that. But it's just that people have decided to assign value to it and there's belief in it. And if that changes, the value of it changes as well. And So that's such a huge point because I want to break that point down. That's a big point that there's belief in it. Yeah. You're never going to break it. Just so you, know, you bring under, it down, but you never no, no, no. But that's such a big point because everybody brings that up. Like, yeah, there's currently belief in it, and I see some big economists will say, "Well, you know, Bitcoin's around today. Who's to say something else isn't better tomorrow?" Which is an absolute truth. Like, I'm a, I'm agreeing yeah. with you. It's the just, reason you go with the probability, like, like you know, the probability factor. No, of, no. What the way I break it down is is like this. I say there is belief in it because of things that we can document. Humans choose money on the characteristics of its saleability. So when I learned these kind of characteristics, I thought, oh, it's it's not, it, it's, it is a belief. But humans choose money based on saleability across time, meaning the thing that you store your value in, how much does it keep its value across periods of time? It's saleability across space. How transportable is it? Like if you have apples, it's not really convenient to have like a 10 trucks of apples and carry that around as your worth, but a gold coin, you can stuff in your pocket. And saleability across scales, meaning it's fungible. You can weigh it, chop it up, and you know, if one ounce, one ounce of my gold is equivalent to one ounce of your gold, so we can trade it really easily. So Nick, that's where I'm coming from, that there is a belief, but people choose money for its saleability across space, its saleability across time, and its saleability across scales. And that's why the gold guys, I don't understand why they don't get it. Gold became what it was because it was the best at those things. And it was for 5,000 years. For years. It was the best store of value across space because you could get on a boat and take a little sachet of gold coins with you and carry a bunch of wealth with you. It was saleable across time because it didn't decay, it didn't rust, it didn't do all these things. And it was saleable across scales, meaning that an ounce was an ounce and you could kind of trade it back and forth. Nothing could beat it. So if those are the things... And the reason that gold became what it became, which they are, as far as I can conclude, of all the readings I've done, 
then how can the gold guys not realize that Bitcoin is better? Right. Bitcoin is more saleable across time. Bitcoin is more saleable across space. To your point, it's a global network. You can transport it across. We can settle a trans. You could be in Europe somewhere and say, hey, Tom, can you send me some Bitcoin? I need some, some, some of it. I can send it to you. 30 minutes, it's settled over overseas. I don't have to go to a bank. I don't have to spend a, spend a money on a bank wire. I don't have to mail a piece of gold to you in the mail. Yeah, but it's the unknown. And it's, it's, and it's saleable. Sorry, it's saleable across scales. But it's so, the unknown factor. It's the I'll unknown factor. Yeah, but but, but my, the, the, I guess the thing I have with people, especially because there's some big Harvard economists right now, some of these big guys yeah. are like, well, it's just, a, it's just a belief. And I'm always like, well, no, no, no. No, it's not a belief. Humans choose money for very certain characteristics. And that's why we've had what we've had for so long. And Bitcoin is better than them. Now, to your point, can something become better than Bitcoin? Absolutely. I'm not like denying that. So but that's, that's, that's such a cop-out um, uh, excuse in a way. Like something might be better. Yeah, guess what? Something might be better for the rest of time. We can never predict that. You know, like uh, I remember this might not be exactly relatable, but I, I remember at one point my business partner, John, was saying to me, we should buy taxi cab um, medallions, right? His father was in that business and it was an industry that... Um, you know, it was very consistent. You buy a taxi cab medallion, you could generate really good uh, revenue and income off of that. Was that that's the little license? Yeah, that the you licenses, have. right? And um, luckily we didn't because Uber came around and the value of those things diminished. But if somebody would have said to John's father in 1972, don't buy a taxi cab medallion because there might be something that comes up that will disrupt this. So he would have given up, you know, 40 years of, of earning income off those. So for someone to say to me, don't buy Bitcoin because somebody might one day come up with something better. Well, guess what? This was the first thing that's better than gold in 5,000 years. So that, that's, that's like, give me, tell me what's better than Bitcoin. Tell me where I should put my money that, that, that holds better value than Bitcoin, and I'll look at it. And if the only thing you can say to me is, well, there might be something better in the future, that's that's not a reason for me not to invest in Bitcoin. Yeah. So and I, and I think that whole belief thing, I think where we're coming from is that, yeah, we have to be we have to be aware and nimble and pay attention. Right. But to just outright dismiss it because it's like, oh, this is what people currently believe. And there could be it's just a belief system. Well, somebody I'm like, somebody, there's no there's more to that. It's not just a belief system, but it's partly belief in the sense of like, you know, the U.S. dollar holds value because we believe it holds value. It's nothing but a piece of paper. Right. Just like somebody could create. No, but that's but see, no, let me argue, argue that the U.S. dollar holds value because I have to pay my taxes in it. The Canadian dollar holds value because I have to pay my taxes in it. So it's not a belief system. I must pay my taxes in the Canadian dollar. That does a great deal of work okay, in helping it hold its value. But the seashells were a value because people believed in that. Right. Like I'm saying there, there is a component of belief. I'm not saying that there, there's well, nothing, but yeah. somebody could create a carbon copy of Bitcoin. Right. And it has exactly the same features. But why would we choose Bitcoin? Because that's the one it's become the one with momentum. It's the one that we've chosen. Like if someone literally came up with something called Karaja, uh, Karaja coin and they gave it every sounds, single. Sounds good. Right. Every single attribute of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. What would be the difference between Bitcoin sure. and Karaja coin? No, no, sure. But I mean, it would have to be a basically a fluke for that to happen because Bitcoin is running on over 10,000 nodes around the world with nobody central, centrally controlling started, it. It started somewhere and it started with the belief. Yeah, but the biggest difference now. I don't think there's a, there's something wrong with saying that part of the the, the value is that is the network is no, all I, of the people that and I don't know maybe I'm I'm wrong on this but I think that you know one of the reasons why Bitcoin is becoming successful is because of the people that are buying in 
that are, are yeah are, the biggest difference one of the biggest differences which people dismiss a lot and 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 the the detractors will point to as something to be very concerned of is the fact that whoever started it is they don't know who that person is are they here are they alive what access do they have whatever and and it's it's a valid concern. It's a very valid sure. concern. Like maybe it's some you know uh, some criminal that that's that's done it for all the wrong reasons. Maybe it's someone that started it for all the right reasons and has now passed away and and, and never going to kind of show up again. And I think that's something that's uh, uh, something real. And that's to the point about what you guys were talking about when you were talking about other cryptocurrencies. That's the biggest difference. And that would be the biggest difference is if we started the Cardinal Coin, like you said, and we you know we're in control of it. So if him and I decide to change the rules, we get to change the rules. And that's what that's what's happening with all these other ones. Yeah. And that's the positive to Bitcoin, by far the biggest positive, because there's no central bank, there's no central governance, there's no board of directors controlling it, none of that shit. It's also the negative, the negative, the detractors will be like, well, you don't know that it's not China that started it and they're just kind of, you know, taking everyone in and they're going to screw everyone or you don't know this and that, you know, whatever. So, but that's to me the biggest, I look at it as the positive because I'm, I guess I'm putting my belief there, but I look at that as that's the biggest positive because I think the centrally controlled money system is the, the root of a lot of flipping problems. So maybe, maybe it's my faith in that there's a, there's a greater good on the other side. There's this one line on, 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 on this book that always gets me. And I know, Nick, I've read this line a lot. I won't read the whole paragraph. And because I think I need glasses, it's hard to read. But uh, page 34 of this book, uh, The Bitcoin Standard by Saifedina Moose, has this one line that I love. It says, history shows it is not possible to insulate yourself from the consequences of others holding money that, that is harder than yours. So like you can refuse to believe in Bitcoin, you can refuse, you can just say, oh my gosh, it's a belief system. It is what it is. But the fact doesn't change that it is a very hard form of money, meaning that we know what the stock is. We know what this new supply is going to be. It's definitive, it's mathematical, and it's the hardest form of money around. So if you're going to dismiss it, just know that throughout history, anyone who dismissed silver and dismiss gold because they thought their egg beads were going to stay as value or their seashells were going to stay on as value. I mean, it, there is a lot of history uh, that discusses how China and India stayed on the silver standard too long. And gold is harder, meaning it's, you know, the, the stock to flow ratio that we've been discussing is better for gold. Silver, I think silver's new supply rate against its stock is about, what is it? It's like 10 or 12%, 8 to 12%, something like that a year compared to gold's like 1.8% a year. So it's not as good on, it's not as hard. Meaning yeah, the supply easier to transport a larger amount of value in gold than there is. Yeah, in so it beats it on all those right, other values. Yeah. So China and India stayed on the silver standard for too long. It's it's why a lot of people think Britain got a lot of its power because it went to the gold standard much earlier, and China and India kind of had to suffer the consequences of Britain getting that power. So I think today we're in another really unique time. Whereas if people ignore this and they hang on to their dollars or they hang on to even their gold and their silver, if Bitcoin's harder. In ten years from now, you you might regret some of those decisions. The the downside is, as people looking at it now, as just because the value has changed, the value measured in dollars has changed so greatly that people are looking at it and you know with that expectation and maybe that continues and that type of stuff, you know. Whereas our initial and that that's great. That's why we've and also invested in it. We felt that that value might change as well, but it's really the store, right? So like. If we were looking to invest early on still, 
yeah, is Bitcoin a bad thing? Absolutely not. Like anything is any of my savings, I'd be interested in that. But it still doesn't produce income. Like if we go back to other assets or rental properties or that type of thing, you know, we're able to to benefit from some leverage when we buy a property with whatever the percent, let's say we're putting 20% down on a property, 500 grand, we put down 100 grand, we get the benefit of, if the, the housing is going to keep up with the M2 money supply, I'm putting 100 grand down, I'm getting the, the benefit of the 500 grand working for me on that, so my returns might still be higher, plus it's paying off the asset for me myself too. So that's the flip side of this asset class, whereas people are looking at it sometimes as, as just a get-rich type of thing and 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 because of those moves it, it can move down as well right but if we're going to expand why past why we got started which was all these things and, and maybe we are maybe we're not but i'm going to so then what happened after that those so we had all these initial principles in play and why we were kind of gold guys initially this got us into bitcoin and why we said hey you know maybe there's kind of more to this thing than so we started kind of playing in it and then why we continued um or at least some of the reasons i don't know if we ever spoken about this, but I think some of the reasons is when we started going down the rabbit hole further, we started realizing that there was a lot of very smart people moving into this space. And there was a lot of capital starting to be drawn, a lot of research being done, a lot of effort being put into the network to build out this infrastructure here. And we're like, holy crap, if this is like the the start of a new kind of infrastructure that's going to be the rails of some sort of monetary system in some way, shape, or form, I'm not saying it's the next global reserve currency or anything like that, but just some exchange of value that because you can transfer money so easily and stuff, we're like, you know, are we now betting on this racehorse instead? You know how you were talking about like it's the most dominant one, but it was it was more than that for us because we're just we saw the the amount of talent going in there from different things we were reading and researching. And then we're just like, huh, this seems very interesting. It seems like we're following or kind of like on the on the front end of a lot of smart money and talent going in that direction. Similar to, we felt it was similar to when a lot of technology things started, uh, that infrastructure started, started being built out. And I think once we got to that realization, which wasn't much long after we started, maybe another month or so, then we, we, we kept, it's what enticed us enough to keep really going further and further with it and trying to research it even more. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. No, I, I think, think that's. I, I, there was one line that I read someplace, and 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 it was uh, old hedge fund guy. It was Ralph Powell, and I remember whatever he wrote. He goes, "It was very rare that you get to front run the banks," and it always stuck out to me. And I think it's because Marco doesn't I, like the term front run because there was a ball hockey team in you know university that used to beat us. Did they beat us? Probably a couple of times, yeah. Oh, you're not going to say all the time. And they were called the front runners. They were called the front runners. Yeah. So every time I say, hey, I, I always, I'm like, Rado, we are front running the banks. He's like, do you realize I hate, I still hate that term. <laughs> See, I hate the so, banks. So when I, when I heard that, I'm like, you know, those fucking banks. Gonna, this is me. This is my secret way of sticking it to the banks. I think that's maybe why. There's nothing, yeah, there's nothing worse than well, a it's, central it's, banker. It's interesting though, like the, where you took that, uh, where you took the conversation at that point, because We've kind of talked about, you know, what are some of the founding principles of Bitcoin and why it interested us. But the next step is the rabbit hole, which is what you're talking about. And once you get in there, it's like my wife right now thinks I'm the biggest nerd in the world because I walk around the house with podcasts on. I swim in my swimming pool. I tread water like I'm 100 years old because it's the only thing that doesn't break my body. And there's a speaker beside me 
with a Bitcoin podcast. No way. And it's all I do. And all <laughs> I do. Your neighbors must just love totally. you. And it's, it's, there, there are <laughs> so this, many who's amazing. Who's this idiot in his pool yeah, no listening kidding. to Bitcoin podcasts? Can't he at least disturb us with music? But you know what? <laughs> Everybody goes down that rabbit hole. Everyone I speak with is in the same exact boat. So keep going. Keep yeah, I just, I guess there are, you know, I, I don't know if we want to open that up into, into the conversation somebody, but but the things that Bitcoin and the Lightning Network and and things that it's going to allow um, us to change, like you know, some people talk about, oh, Bitcoin. Look at the look at the carbon footprint of Bitcoin, you know, and that that that's something that we should all be concerned with. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh wow, you know, I wonder what is the impact. And I and I, you know, Tom is kind of the guy I go to. Tom, what do you think? And he's like, well, think about what it takes globally yeah. to support the currency regimes to cons- that's cons- the, that's called the petrodollar the system dollar system like even just look at you know i'm not going to start picking well, it's on wars a it's bank. wars right yeah so, full-blown wars yeah. right and and that doesn't take into account that a lot of the crypto mining is done in the most efficient um energy uh what do you want to call it efficient yeah, like energy the, reserves like the, it, it uses extra the energy. cheapest form of energy right. yeah leftover energy that's not used by anything else and when you compare that to you know oil or mining gold when they're stripping down entire mountains like gold doesn't have the best reputation uh, in terms no. of uh, if at, its ethics around the world yeah when someone talks about the bitcoin uh yeah the energy one's such a good one because if you just take all the energy that's used by the current financial system all the central banks all the banks all the financial advisors out there all the electricity to store what everybody owes on the different air mornings, conditioning in the, the buildings it, that's right thank you the air conditioning the paperwork like everything you have to account for all that before you can say bitcoin uses a lot of energy yeah and if you measure it like yeah, never mind the u.s military it, how much energy does the u.s military take and I, I, I don't mean, I'm, I mean, that might sound like I'm exaggerating the situation, but it really is the petrodollar system. Well, there's a portion of that military that really exists because of the, to enforce the petrodollar system. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, it's pretty, that's pretty open fact, right? right? Right. And the fact, you know, when I hear you talking about like the next things, it reminds me, I'll never forget when a bunch of Oracle people went over to NetSuite. So if you're not familiar with NetSuite, NetSuite's an in-the-cloud kind of accounting software company where everybody um, said, or told me at least, that nobody's going to put the lifeblood of their business into the internet because that's their accounting software. They're never going to trust the internet with their accounting software. That's what literally everyone told me before I left Oracle and went to NetSuite. And that's what all NetSuite was going to do is basically put all your inventory, your accounting, everything, your your customer data into the internet. You as a company would log in on a, on a website and get all your customer information. This this sounds maybe obvious now, but at the time in yeah. 2005, six, that was like, no one's ever going to do that, especially not their accounting data. And when I saw all the talent leave Oracle and go into NetSuite, and it was some of the smartest guys that were getting up and leaving to go to NetSuite, and they did the same thing at salesforce.com bunch of Oracle people went over to salesforce.com. It, this reminds me of that, but at a much larger magnitude because you see all these finance guys. Ray Dalio's CFO from Bridgewater, the biggest hedge fund in the world, I believe, he just left last week to go to NIDIG, which is a big Bitcoin kind of, I don't know if they exclusively Bitcoin or the other cryptocurrencies as well, but a big, let's call it digital assets company. So the same talent move that I have saw before is happening now, Nick, to your point. And then now when you realize Bitcoin's like, once you start to realize that Bitcoin's a network, that the real value of it might not be the asset, like the price of Bitcoin, the real value of this, Nick, weren't you talking about like, wasn't it the NYDIG CEO, Ross Stevens or whatever his name is? Just last week, I thought you were watching a video where you- you, Yeah, I was. I just don't know what point you're- you're He was talking about stage one of the value of Bitcoin is the asset price. 
Like that's like stage one, but stage two, the real value, which I strongly believe mm-hmm. is the network. Yeah, yeah, this, this, this blew my mind. Not blew my mind, like I understood it, but I had never heard it explained the way he explained it. So yeah, stage one was like, you know, okay, is Bitcoin an asset? It seems like there's some sort of consensus amongst a decent percentage of people in finance that there is some sort of asset class here somewhere, right? So that stage one's established. So he's looking at stage two being Bitcoin, the network. And he was saying, watch out like banks, Visa. Like just think when the merchants, when I can buy something and I can transfer money to someone else or to that that merchant without having to go through visa and settlements and all that stuff and they get the money three days later, they get it instantly. Merchant accounts. Yeah, how does that change? They take their fees, like how does that change everything? So like, you know, he was talking about the Lightning Network for for anyone familiar with it, not familiar with it, the Lightning Network is something built on top of the Bitcoin um, Network. uh, network that basically, we'll use the strike example, you know, so it's a firm and basically they, they've developed technology that you can take money from one bank account. The, the example they use was in the U.S. This is what the example they used. Transfers it, converts it to Bitcoin, transfers it to Europe, converts it back to Europe, puts it in the person's bank account, all within the matter of like seconds and for very minimal cost to like what you were talking about. Like we're talking like cents, not dollars even compared to the current system of everything we do has to go through like three different clearing parties and they all take their cut and there's fees everywhere and all this stuff. Like, and I was just like, I was sitting there and thinking this is, that's where the game really changes. That's and if those just, bankers are running over to work on this now, that's the smart money. Yeah. Not only that, think of the geopolitical problems this proposes for America, because now you're not, you're outside the SWIFT system. Anytime America has wanted to put sanctions on Iran or any different countries around the world, they'll close them off the SWIFT, with the SWIFT system, which is the primary system to move money, large forms of money between countries. Now you don't even need SWIFT. Yeah. You're just moving value around the Bitcoin network. Like it, it is, it's when you start to think of those implications, this is just where your mind yeah. starts to blow. That's where my belief is that the, you know, similar to what I've heard, uh, I think it was Jim Rogers say, um, I know Jim Rickards has alluded to this before, like maybe we go down this path and, and it really disrupts this type of stuff in a big way. Uh, I think it will definitely do it in some sort of way. But if it goes to this massive way, like you're talking about the SWIFT system, and I can totally see it, I like 100%, I believe in that. However, the governments aren't going to go down without a fight. And, and there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be messy to get to that point. It's not a, a short term thing, but but I think sometimes these types of changes can happen really, really fast. I think that, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, this was, uh, I've heard a lot of comparisons of this is very similar to being part of the internet in 1996, 1997, right? A lot of people like, you know, you and I, Tom, were in university when the internet first was, you know, becoming a, a bit more mainstream, you know? And I think it was your brother that like introduced me yeah. to the internet. Yeah, I think like we went down to the computer lab. Yeah, and I think there's a picture us. of like Cindy Crawford that was kind of loading on the screen and it took like 25 minutes. It right. was like a 16th of the image every minute. So you guys were watching porn as your first <laughs> internet experience. Basically. I don't know if that was porn. No, no. That I, was just, <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to actually agree with me when I said it. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it, it's funny because if you, if you sat in that, that room that day in that computer lab, and somebody said to you that, you know, how many years later we would be sitting here in your office and, you know, having a conversation that was going to be released on our mobile phones and everybody would have the chance to listen to it. You would have looked at each other and said, okay, sure, that sounds like some kind of great idea. That might happen in 50 years. Like the, the, the pace at which technology now, you know, 
uh, it's exponential. So the things that were, were you know, the, the way that technology could move in a five-year period in the late 90s versus the early 2000s compared to now, like, I, I think that it's going to shock people how fast this stuff is being developed. Your point, both of you, your point about this is where the talent is going. You know, the smartest people are moving into this space right now. And what are those smart people with the financial backing capable of doing? A lot greater things that I can come up with, but I'd like to be along for the ride. Yeah, totally. And there's a, there's a two points I want to add on, on to what you're just saying there. The, the first point was, I was just thinking about a, a story that I don't want to share between us right now. <laughs> That's making me laugh. That made me lose my, my train of thought. But one of, one of the things I wanted to mention was, oh, it was this, sorry. I was explaining to Nick, I'm like, when MP3s came out, it took about 10 years for MP3s to destroy the music industry. Because who would have thought when MP3s came out that Spotify and Apple Music were on the horizon, yeah. would not only on the horizon, be the dominant players in the way that you access music? Because let's face it, you probably use Spotify or maybe Sirius as like a, a, a kind of a satellite service, but basically Spotify or Apple Music. They're two of the biggest players right now, yeah. right? Who would have ever thought that when MP3s came out? And not only that, it closed retail. HMV, gone. Sam the Record Man, downtown Toronto on, on Young Street, gone. It ate a whole part of this middle part of the industry. And I, I was telling Nick, that took 10 years. That sounds like a long time. Imagine 10 years from today, Bitcoin has come out and now it's hit its stride. So it's already been around for 10 years, but now let's face it, we feel like it's hitting its stride. Exponential growth. Exponential growth. So let's map out the next 10 years. I was telling Nick when we discovered this, when we had our aha moment, I'm like, holy shit, Nick, it's going to eat all the banks. The finance industry does not see what's coming for it. Bitcoin is going to do to the banks what MP3s did to the music industry. It's going to destroy them. And yeah, or they'll gonna, or they'll buy into it. Oh, sorry. You know, it, so, it'll, just, it'll look very. It'll look very than it does sure today. if they buy the Leadens of the world, the Bitbuys of the right. world, the Blockfies of the world. Absolutely sure, but it is going to be a major transformation. Absolutely, and that's what I'm interested in in, in watching. And and one one last thing here, I think some of the social problems that are exist in North America and around the world with different, the you know we always talk about the middle class being destroyed. I think it's because of that decay of the dollar that we talked about at the beginning of this. You know how we talked about there's like a 12% hurdle rate that if you're not making 12% like in the last year specifically, you're falling behind. If it's been just less than that, let's, be, let's say it's been about 5%. I'm doing some math. It looks like it's been about since 1990. It looks like it's been about 6 to 7% actually since 1990 where the devaluation of the, the M2 has grown at that pace compounded. Don't hold me to that yet. I'm right in the middle of doing some math for that. But if that's the case, when you compound that over a decade, over two decades, over three decades, you basically evaporate the life savings of the middle class. And what that causes is people who cannot afford a home, who cannot afford the education they want, who can't go on vacation without going into debt. And everybody starts looking around and blaming each other like, oh, it's, it's the left's fault. It's the right's fault. It's the conservative's fault. It's the liberal's fault. When really, if you boil it all down, a lot of the problems that are going on in the world are because of the decay or the devaluation of the currency that no one discusses. Because if everybody could save in money that held its value, your money wouldn't go. If you had that $10,000 example you used at the beginning, Marco, if that went up in value instead of the assets around it, you know, we talked about how like everything around the money is going up. What about if we just reversed it? Jeff Booth talks about this a lot. What about if we just reversed it where the, where the money, your savings goes up in value and the things around you in life go down in value. 
a flip of the current system. Well, then when you hit retirement, Marco, your savings is worth more, not less. You can be a mentor to people. You can pass on your life's experience to other people. You can be like a wise Rado. <laughs> you can be a wise Yoda Rado. And you can pass on your life's experience and not worry about not having enough money to buy a loaf of bread tomorrow. Yeah, I think it's 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 people have to stop looking at, at, at look at money and your savings in a different way. They have to look at it in that that classical sense of those dollars as of right now, they represent your hard work, your energy. That's where you store, you know, whatever it is you do for a living, right? You, you you're not you're not working enough to just make food and eat it, right? We're not, you know, prehistoric times, right? Where you you work on what you you uh, you need today, and you have you're, excess, which right. you want to save. You want to save your excess. So if you're one of those, you know, people who was, you know, hopefully smart enough or or hardworking enough that you're, you know, creating extra and you want to save it, this gives you that that opportunity to do that and not have it uh, be dwindled by either the system. Um, governments or any other, you know, multitude of things that, that are eating at your time and energy, your time and energy deserves to be saved. If that's the decision that you made and you were smart and you wanted to save your money, it's, it's bullshit that there's a system that can chew that and decay that over time. And you don't even know that it's happening to you. Amen, Rado. Amen. <laughs> the fully converted. <laughs> so, totally. <laughs> The only thing I, I'll, I agree with everything you guys are saying, but the only thing I, I would add that I look at in regards to network effect is um, I just looked up um, Google and, and Amazon started. So they start, Amazon started in 95. Google started in 98. People, I, we, Google kind of used early for some search and stuff like that. But, you know, and then they, they kind of took off. Amazon for the first 10 years, like well, who was really using Amazon, you know, before the year I used to laugh stuff. at it. Look how much money they lose every year. Yeah, yeah. So, so they started then, so they're about 25 years in, let's, you know, give or take, right? So they're 25 years in, but for the first 10 years, they were really just kind of like, Google was kind of- Like a nuisance around. almost. Yeah. Facebook started later. It was uh, 2004, 2006, something like that, right? So they're 15 years in and you see what they've done. Um, and they kind of took off a little bit faster with the network effect because of the, the new side of this network, the social side. Um, Bitcoin started in 2009. So we're, if we go, if we revert back to some other technologies with that have really benefited from network effect, you see the ten, the first 10 years is when really they're not really getting nearly right. as much growth. But then the next 10, if we use kind of Google and Amazon as an example, like they just turn into this, this monster behemoth thing. So, so I just wonder, I'm like, huh, in this financial, this, this kind of cryptocurrency side of things, this digital currency side of things, we're only what's that 12 years right we're 12 years in we're at the right good now. part right now yeah. so yeah. are we on the cut like is are things just about get, to get interesting because things haven't really changed that fast in the last 12 years with it but now with the with the foundation being laid what the hell can happen in the next 10 potentially a year ago remember when marco sent that text we talked about the text message we started this with a year ago like we were like oh we think this is worth checking out but you know what don't rush in and now we've kind of been fully converted what's going to happen a year from today if we all come back just one year from today. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting actually to, to mark that on your calendar and just see where, where totally. we are a year from now. And, and there's one, I never would have guessed a year ago. I never no. would have guessed that we were in this, this like where we are today. And, and there's no, one, that would be hard to guess. There's one thing, if anyone's listening to this, we didn't really dive into it, but there is a, the biggest distinction. I just want to make that sure that's very clear between Bitcoin and some of the other cryptos is Nick, what you alluded to earlier is that a lot of the other ones have a controlling body. 
So I'm in, I own Ethereum. So just so everybody's aware, I own some Ethereum. Um, and there are other, other like, you know, Litecoin and Ripple. There's one, there's there's one billion. There's different. a million of them. Most of them, just so everybody's aware who's listening to this, basically all the other ones are different than Bitcoin because there is some controlling factor by a single person or a group of people who can make changes to it. To me, that sounds like centralization. To me, it reminds me of the central banking system and it reminds me of the thing I do not like. So even though I have some, some specifically Ethereum, I'm very aware that these other things like Ethereum, these other coins are more like tech plays in my mind and not money. Bitcoin is the hardest form of money because it has those characteristics that we spoke about. And that's why if you're buying some of this, I personally, I think you need the base of Bitcoin. And then if you want to go and play with some of these DeFi things and add on some risk to your base savings, sure. But look at those more as tech plays and not money. Yeah. To me, Bitcoin is money. I look at one as like a store of value and one is more as like stocks. Like if you want to trade stocks and you want to trade cryptocurrencies in and out and stuff like that, that's fine. I mean, we know a number of people that are doing that and that's what they choose to do and they study graphs and charts and they follow it and some spend an hour a day doing it, some spend flipping six hours a day doing it. It's a full-time job for them. So yeah, there's definitely opportunity there, but I look at it, yeah, one store of value, one's like, Am I just am I betting on a racehorse? And let's see where this you know how this this race ends. I do. I I, I encourage everybody though. Um, you know, if they're listening to this podcast for the first time and first time starting to think about Bitcoin, is never take anybody's word at par and just say, oh, I'm going to do it because I heard it on the the Rockstar podcast. Do your own research, 100%. get into it, understand it. If you're going to go down this rabbit hole and you're going to you know take the first steps, like you know one of the other things that. I was thinking that we're going to run out of time today is how to buy Bitcoin. A lot of people don't know how to do it, right? But do your research. Don't jump in headfirst all in at once. You know, like take your time. It's not going away. Don't get that FOMO fear of missing out. Um, uh, do your research and understand what it is you're doing because this is a transformational change in terms of how we look at money and savings and our work energy. And it doesn't all have to be done in five days or a week. Take your time. Yeah, and I think the best resource for that, just to share one that comes to mind, to me, the one that's discussed more than any other book is the Bitcoin Standard. So if you want a book to start going down the path of, that is a great place. I, I think that book specifically has been pointed to as that's the thing that really got me to change my mind on Bitcoin. So if you need another resource to start going down the rabbit hole, that's probably a great place to start. Yeah, it is. And the key, the, it, the title's almost misleading and it can be a turnoff to people almost because it's called the Bitcoin standard. I think it's, it does it almost a, a disservice to people who have this preconceived notion of Bitcoin because it's about far more than that. And it's about the history of money and how money really works and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, the stock to what, flow model yeah, that we discussed. Yeah, that's, and it's so valuable. And that's that's why I think the title can almost turn people off. So it's not just like a, it's not like the Bitcoin Bible and it tries to convert you to, to buy Bitcoin and that type of stuff, but it's just really understanding historically how money's worked in our world. And that is, that is like, it's something that we're never, we never speak about, taught about anything. It's like the most flipping valuable thing for us. If we're choosing to store the value we create and we give the world in something, we should understand how that works. Yeah. The book could almost just be called The History of Money. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see over it's the next... too boring. That sounds too boring. <laughs> over the next 10, 20 years, if, if Bitcoin really is what we think it is, if the monetization effect that other things like rookie cards and real estate even and Rolexes and, and, and art has achieved because people have been trying to hide their dollars in these places where they're better protected because they're more scarce. If Bitcoin really is the apex predator of the space, it'll be fascinating to see what happens to some of these other things. 
So, you know, something maybe we can talk about and debate back and forth because I'd love to talk about that a little bit further. Anyway, thanks, guys. Nick, Nick, Marco Radicevic. Thank you. A.K.A. Rado. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Marco Radicevic. We think understanding investments, your money, saving money, how money works, how the central banking system works, how this Bitcoin system works is so important to live life on your terms that we're gonna talk about this stuff over the next few years, certainly. This is something that is really near and dear to our hearts. So really appreciate Marco coming on and chatting about this. If you have any questions about this particular topic, let us know. We've already reached out to a few people who are doing stuff on the Lightning Network, who are setting up nodes. We have a node here at the Rockstar office. So this is all stuff that we're gonna share. I think it's really important that we all understand the fundamentals of this new monetary network that is being built in front of our eyes. It's absolutely astonishing. So thanks again, Marco, for coming on and chatting. If you are listening to this and you want to get some real estate specific information, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com for reports and books and videos, this podcast episodes, and register for our next real estate trading class. It's all linked for you off there. That's at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.